Recording on August 6th, 2016, it's Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. This is a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt engage in discussion about pop culture, sports, science, history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. Welcome, I'm Ray Agustinelli, your host. I'm here today with my brother, Paul Agustinelli, who we call Dr. Zen. Good morning, happy to be here. And with Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, the greatest of all sinners. Always a pleasure to be here. Great to be with you guys. Great to sit down in the basement in Boulder, Colorado and chat about stuff. Great to pose you guys some (laughs) questions and see how you might react and how you think Jesus and Buddha might react as well. So uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts? I don't know. We'd like to start with just some basic thoughts. Jeff, what's your uh, reflections on the week? So I've been thinking a little bit about the fact that why are movies and, partic- and TV and, and media so dark right now? Unbelievably dark. They are. Just no trying doubt. to think of something to watch with my wife and let's do something funny or uplifting. I got nothing. I mean, I, the dark stuff is great. I'm loving, you know, Breaking Bad, Sopranos, Luther, Peaky Blinders were freaking out as a family about we love it yeah. river happy valley uh, mr robot recently my wife and i started watching marcella all oh, so crazy dark even our comedies are super dark and black and bleak like shameless and recently vice principles so vice principles has my comedy dream team in it on hbo which would be walton goggins who i'm a huge fanboy of and danny mcbride which both pleases and disappoints similar to mccartney and wonder on ebony and ivory <laughs> you'd think bringing talent of that caliber you would make magic but it doesn't always and it's strange and and my question to you was why is everything so crazy dark right now is it because things are a bit dark in the world it does the tail of media wag the dog of consumers I don't think the tail's wagging the dog. I think it is a true reflection of something going on deep in the zeitgeist of our culture. You know, these these artists who are who are creating these series, I think they're really tapping into something real. And I didn't, you know, even put it as bleakly as you kind of presented this observation to myself, but I was reflecting as you were talking and thinking probably the funnest thing I've watched recently is Strange Things, the new series with Winona Ryder and a big pastiche of the great science fiction movies of the 70s and 80s, E.T., Close Encounters and whatnot. A lot of fun watching these kids. But here's a series where a kid gets abducted by aliens, another teenager dies, and you've got aliens at the end kind of crawling out of people's mouths. It's incredibly dark. And this is the funnest thing that, that I can uh, that I can imagine. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, and, and, and Stranger Things, I think is what it's called. Oh, yeah. And and let me riff off something just super quick here, and that is is that does Winona Ryder give the worst performance <laughs> in the history of television or the best performance in the history of television? Because I think it's one of the two. It's loony. Indeed. And I'm going to say that's a great Zen koan. Done. Let's, okay, both. Okay, Probably so about. let me riff on something else. Another thought. Dude. Isn't it interesting how your own smells are so much tolerable than others? Or the smells of your kids and pets. Because I'm always a little bit disquieted when I'm in a home with a ton of animal dander. Or there's filth around. Or you're smelling animal urine and feces. Yet inside my own house, my wife will occasionally let me know that our, our house reeks like a poorly maintained inner city doggy daycare on occasion. Because of my approximately 95% potty trained Shih Tzu Delilah. Mm-hmm. Until my wife finally explodes about the stench. Well... 
not in my family. My wife doesn't explode. She doesn't get emotional like that. Her version of exploding is gently but fir- uh, firmly nudging your chair out of the way while she spot bots the entire carpet, <laughs> taking three hours to do so. But uh, smells good now. <laughs> smells good now. No problem. I, I have a request for all the inventors out there because you're right. It's hard to know how you smell, and so now we've got all these devices coming along the Fitbit and whatnot to tell you how many steps you've walked and whatnot. Yes. I want a little one of those things that tell me, you know, if I'm smelling bad. Like a stench bit. A stench bit, exactly. Yeah. Coin that term. I mean, we need the domain for that right <laughs> yeah. now. Stenchbit.com. There's an app for that. That's it. All right, guys. Let's start on our questions that I pose to you, and you answer in the most insightful ways you possibly can. Um, we're going to start <laughs> no with pressure. Zen. <laughs> but uh, so, so marijuana has recently become legalized in our home state here of Colorado. Um, we've heard a deafening silence where societal collapse was supposed to be, if you were to believe the initiative's main detractors. However, there have certainly been issues, notably a widespread confusion about dosages and packaging that lead many kids to try the stuff when they should not, and many adult humans to do more than they intended. So so give me your sense. What would Buddha think about legalized pop, Dr. Zen? And then after that, great small sinners, what would Jesus think? Well, first off, I want to say maybe society does collapse silently, so mm-hmm. it could be happening. Um, in Buddhism, we have a, the, our precepts, and the fifth precept is that you don't uh, intoxicate yourself or others, but instead you cultivate clarity and compassion. So the question would be, does pot... Um, do one or the other. Does it does it make you more confused or does it make you more clear? And you could argue that actually our normal functioning, our normal ego-based functioning is actually a state of inco- intoxication as it is. Wow. So why would you add an even another layer of confusion to that? It could make things even worse. Or it could, the toxin in that intoxicant could perhaps neutralize the toxins in our ego-based um, consciousness. Um, so I think it all depends, and I think that's how the, the, the Buddha would sort of ask the question is, what's the occasion? There's, there's no dogmatic answer to that. It's really occasion about the time, the place, the degree, and the person who's engaging in that thing. And uh, how, uh, how it might unfold is really based sensitively on understanding uh, the actual uh, details of the situation at hand. So wouldn't, you know, Buddha's not a lawyer. I, I love lawyers, I love legislators. They've got a tough job to do to make societal norms around that. But, uh, you know, Buddhist understanding is about what one does in one's daily life moment to moment. And I am a lawyer. Um, besides being the greatest of all sinners, and I am entirely ego-consumed and driven, and so I'd like to speak on that, and then also speak, of course, for Jesus Christ, which is spectacular. Um, so, societal collapse not happening, Ray Augustinelli. Have you been on the 16th Street Mall recently? It's a bit of a nightmare down there. But that all aside, I think if um, if it was legal, Jesus may partake of the stinky weed. Um, we believe that Jesus probably drank wine every day, uh, probably not to uh, drunkenness or not to intoxication, but certainly as a part of his culture and his world, um, in part because it was legal. I think uh, if laws were different, his first miracle may have been actually to turn water into the very potent strain King Tut or some key, you know, CBD oil or at least Charlotte's Web uh, for the reception. If done in an illegal way, he would probably have more of a render under Caesar, the things that are Caesar's, and unto God, the things that are God's view, that is basically law-abiding, and Jesus was basically law-abiding through most of his life, except for the stuff that got him executed, but I feel that Jesus might want people probably to be 
clear-headed and clear-minded and focus on human interaction and love and caring without anything getting in the way like intoxicants. So uh, not sure he would partake. All right, gotcha. Let's move on to a business question. So Tesla, the electric car maker, um, is in the market now for Solar City. They're proposing a merger or, or buyout. Um, Solar City is a solar panel startup. Now Elon Musk is on both boards and his cousin runs Solar City. Doubters are crying conflict of interest and also asking, does the car maker really need to make the energy source? GM is not in the oil business, are they? Arguably they should be, but that's another matter entirely. So is the savvy, is, the, is this proposed uh, buyout savvy vertical integration or a rare Muskian misstep? So if it works, I believe it'll work in a very idiosyncratic way that is very Muskian and uh, if in, that perhaps no other buyer could, but Musk could pull this off. Um, he's making a lot of money. Now, he doesn't just sit on the boards. He he owns 22% of Solar City. He right. is cousin, like you said. It's a $2.6 billion bid. He winds up making a lot of money. Tesla's likely going to have to sell more stock to make up for it. It's There's a lot about it that could not be good for the companies. Um, he, he's thinking that it creates cost efficiencies, hundreds of millions of dollars of cost efficiencies, and that he's talking about creating, quote, the world's only quote, integrated sustainable energy company. Um, there was a Consumer Reports article recently that talked about how for a consumer, most of the leasing operations where you lease the panels from Solar City, they install it, then they get the energy over time, mm-hmm. is not that great a deal as of right now for consumers. Wall Street hated the deal in the beginning, but has warmed to it. Tesla loses. Uh, Tesla um, has lost about two billion over the last five years. Uh, Solar City's almost been as good as losing money, losing 1.5 billion during that time. The magic seems to be the battery. And Tesla seems to do as well with batteries as anyone on the planet. So I guess if anyone can pull it off, um, it would be Tesla. And if he can, it'll transform the world. So I'm rooting for it, but um, seems like it could be a misstep. I've got to agree with Jeff, and I, and I, and I hope it does work out, and I think it is going to work out. It's, it's definitely an unconventional deal. It's got questionable aspects. Um, both companies are struggling in their own ways, and so it has a picture of, uh, you know, trying to uh, trying to, to join together here and make a, you know make a, a what is it a self purse out of a sow's ear by uh, <laughs> you know uh, holding each other up in a way. But but the, the 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 issues that they each have, you know, the Solar City is facing an environment in which the net metering kind of ecosystem that they're playing in right now is potentially politically unviable because they, they've got to provide another value that is not tied to the rates of traditional energy sources. And getting into the transportation business could provide that. Um, Tesla, on the other hand, needs to figure out how they're going to work their infrastructure with their batteries, and Solar City could play exactly into that. So it's kind of a moonshot in a way, but hey, we're talking about Musk, who's all about moonshots, mm. and I think it, it could be brilliant, and I hope it works out. Wow, so you started agreeing with Jeff, but you actually wound up disagreeing with him. You, you think that it's good vertical integration. It was a very Zen-like moment, <laughs> where Paul is lovely and sweet as the great as Dr. Zen, and it disagrees with me almost completely throughout the entirety of his piece. It was gorgeous. I'm in total agreement with, with what Jeff should have said. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lesson in there somewhere. Maybe seven or eight. Okay, sports issue of the week. The Rio Olympics started last night. 
Um, as with many modern Olympics, this one holds the potential for massive embarrassment for the host nation, but it also undeniably has the potential for genuinely inspirational and memorable experiences. Give me your thoughts for what you're looking forward to and what you expect to see. Paul? Well, I'm in that moment where I'm pivoting from the train wreck of the preparatory issues around the Rio Olympics, and we all are familiar with, with uh, those are, to looking forward to what the really amazing personal interest uh, stories are going to be, yeah. you know, coming out. And I'm not quite there yet. I haven't gotten into them, but I do trust our media with their artistry and their ability to hype uh, to give me those three to four minute segments on all of these great athletes, American and otherwise, that is going to get me engaged in these uh, in these events. Looking forward to the U.S. women's soccer team. Big fan there. They've got a dynasty going as far as gold medals go. I want to see how they do and they're rooting for them strongly. And local heroine Missy Franklin, who did a great job at 17 years old, four years ago, winning multiple medals. And uh, I understand she's kind of fallen off the pace in the world, uh, the world swimming scene, but I hope she can bounce back. And curious, you know, how she does that with with that same bubbly personality or is there uh, is there a shift there? Well, I have some fear related to the whole thing. I mean, just conceptually. First of all, you would talk about us kind of rubbernecking towards the disaster that Rio seems to be. But that seems to happen all the time. And yet I love the Olympics. Every Olympics. I love the Winter Olympics. I love the Summer Olympics. And in this, um, I, I am a little bit concerned that drugs and doping and genetic augmentation, mechanical change... Are, will and are transforming what we think of as sport and endeavor. And uh, I believe that doping already has. I mean, it's stolen so much of the joy from the Tour de France and cycling and that Indeed. sort of thing. Um, it was far more fair in my mind to ban the entire Russian delegation when you looked at, which is a stunning possibility, when you looked at the widespread pervasive and systemic drug cheating and how that can just blow up the sport and sports. So... The thing is, I think that makes sports less fun. That said, I love athletic endeavor. I love those pieces you're talking about, Dr. Zen, about telling and making these people human and amazing. And I'm excited to see Bolt versus Gatlin in and the what is it, hundred hundred meter hundred feet. A hundred meter, <laughs> particularly in the light of Bolt's a little hurt, maybe you know, and so his dominance may be called into question. Gatlin has to redeem himself after a decade of PED stuff haunting him, his own personal demons. Can he put it past? Can he put it past him? Or are we just entering the age of Bolt, where he rules our lives and is on every product from cereal to underwear to light bulbs to marijuana strains? He becomes sort of the Bob Marley for our generation, I guess, in some way. I love the Olympics, and I love rooting for the USA. So here's some of the stuff I'm looking for. Uh, U.S. Rugby Sevens, but Rugby Sevens is going to blow people's minds. That's going to be a breakout sport in this Olympics, I'm telling you right now. We're, are, are you speaking? I genuinely can't tell if you're being sarcastic. Absolutely. You're absolutely. Yeah, really. Opens up the field. Super no fun. It's, it's, it's a blast. We heard it here first. <laughs> and, and Isles and Nebner are terrific stories on that team. Men's and women's soccer, a blast where the world will begin to understand the feet to fear Colorado's Mallory Pugh. Oh, yeah. I believe it's going to be her real debut and, and uh, coming out 
out party to the entire world. Women's gymnastics is always so amazing, and, and Biles for America in particular. Swimming, Phelps versus Lochte, uh, Franklin versus Ledecky, uh, Muhammad in fencing, water polo with our first African-American uh, on the team as our, as our goalkeeper on the women's team, and good teams. Um, uh, beach volleyball, which is glorious in every way. I can't speak how much that we should have... Uh, Beach volleyball every day, all day, throughout the entire tournament. There should be a little square in the bottom of your screen where whatever whatever sport is going on, we get to see also uh, women's beach volleyball. Uh, the, the Williams sister in tennis, going for four. Uh, so lots to enjoy. Uh, Sato Voce, don't get pregnant. Oh, Notes to athletes. Yes, I think they probably know that advice, but always good to reinforce it. I'm there to help. Had no idea you were such an Olympics junkie, Jeff. I love it. We're going to have to probably put off the podcast uh, for next week because you'll be glued to your TV for the next two. It's going on right now, and and it's a little painful. There's some real fun stuff going on. Well, sorry to be keeping you away from the (laughs) two. I'm having a blast. (laughs) We've got a couple more questions for you. You've got to think fast on your feet because you don't get a chance to prepare for these. So... This year's Perseid meteor shower is going to be record-breaking in intensity, 200 meteors per hour as compared with the more typical 80. Now, this is cosmological theater of the highest order, and when we look at spectacular things in the sky, we tend to think big thoughts. And since you guys are both big thoughts sort of guys, I'd love for you to give me, I don't know, a knock-knock joke or a haiku or some little thought about this fantastic cosmological event. Because this has been sprung upon me, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, the greatest of all sinners, it'll take me a second to invent something. (laughs) But um, let me start with this. Uh, Beloved listeners, the Perseid meteor shower you won't make time to see this year, August 11th and 12th, will be likely twice as spectacular as the Perseid meteor shower you missed last year (laughs) and every year before that. This year's effect of Jupiter's gravity on Comet Swift-Tuttle means you will not see up to 200 meteors instead of the approximately 80-ish you miss most years, streaking through the universe at 132,000 miles per hour, which, by the way, is currently how fast Russian sprinters can run. Knock, knock. (laughs) Who's there? Hercules' great-grandfather. Hercules' great-grandfather who? Perseus dude, seriously. (laughs) And... and, How did we not see that coming? And my haiku. Two of them. You ready? Son of a mortal... Dude saves chained naked goddess. Tough break, Phineas. <laughs> second wow, one. That's second one. Second one. Beheads Medusa. Saves Andromeda from Cetus. Nicely done, Brohim. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the TV series based on Perseus's life now. You've got yeah. my appetite wet. All of that off the top of my head. Fantastic. Oh. Yeah, I knew you thought fast on your feet. <laughs> I didn't know you thought that fast. <laughs> I'd, I'd buy you a shot of Jameson if it weren't 11 in the morning, Jeff. True bardic <laughs> delivery or anything. <laughs> Oh, now I've got it. Now I've got to riff on my feet. Okay. The show, the show is Doctors and and the greatest of all sinners. You're here too. I'm Bring it. Blown away by the first time. This, the, I, I am looking forward. Despite the the sarcasm around this, I'm I am looking forward to seeing the Perseids this year. Although I did not see them last year, but I am buying into the hype. I'm going to go with my Zen group at 11 o'clock next Friday. Nice. Probably stay out there for two to three hours and catch this this majesty. But I am. 
I, I, I gotta laugh at the hyperbolic language that the media is using to pump this baby up because I guess with everything going on, with all the screens we have, with the Olympics going on, you gotta pump everything up in order to get even a chance of attention. So we got the prettiest, the Perseids outburst is expected. We have people shouting from headlines, it's going to be twice as good. <laughs> and we even have this, it, this year is going to be extra awesome. Extra yeah. Awesome. Okay, now this would be appropriate for a BuzzFeed headline, but this is NASA, which puts this out. <laughs> extra awesome. Come on, the miracle of birth, now even more miraculous. Oh, you know, I can see Jesus, he, if he needed some attention these days, he would have to say, come to the sermon now with 20% more loaves and fishes. I'd come. I'd show up <laughs> for that. Come. Hey, new and improved. <laughs> All right, final question for you guys. We've gone almost two months since a new zombie-related book, movie, or TV show. Whoa. Are zombies done? Are we over zombies? What's going to be the next zombies? We may be over zombies. Uh, I don't know. I think zombies are a representation of that which sucks our soul. It's, it's of our soullessness. We're dead, but we're, at, we're, we're alive in body, but we're dead inside. And so the first zombies kind of in modern times are, are the Sepford Wives, and it was conformity that sucked the souls out of modern man and woman, especially in that case. Then we got into the George Romero. We got where it was modern consumer culture generally that was sucking the souls out of our humanity. And so that's what zombies were. So what is it now? I think there is a genuine fear of apocalypse that is eating away at our humanity. And that is certainly coming up. But the thing to me that is the most soulless manifestation uh, within our culture right now, I would say is reality TV. So if there is going to be a new zombie, it's going to look like a reality TV stars intersecting with our daily lives, pumping our gas, Serving us in stores and restaurants, and even running for president. Oh, Ooh, snap. So now, zombies, I believe, will forever be with us, like their predecessor, vampires. I think that it creates a zeitgeist that taps into very powerful evolutionary and human issues going on. I believe that, it, it, you know, I'm different from Dr. Zen in that I believe zombies are more the love child of xenophobia married to end-of-the-world fears or apocalyptic worry. The two-month respite we've recently received is not the end, uh, our host, Ray Agustinelli, but is the equivalent of the terrified and blood-speckled and mud-covered sweaty virgin, I'm thinking of Megan Fox, letting out that heaving sigh of relief at her delusion of reprieve and escape before a new zombie reaches through the dirt to clutch at and grab her ankle. If I had to pause it, a replacement for the zombie. It maybe be something that will really tap into our minds and our fears and everything going on to be the terrorist, including the techno-terrorists like those of Mr. Robot and Live Free or Die Hard. By the way, I am pitching a sequel script that I've written uh, called Die Hard Already. Damn it. Um, and uh, maybe terrorist zombies, uh, maybe uh, weapons or animals or viruses that steal our senses or make us developmentally disabled or steal or scramble our senses which seems to be so fearful a notion. Aliens are also great proxy uh, proxies for evolutionary xenophobic fear. Or maybe an application can be developed for our phones uh, by developers that mutate a child's game t- 
and cause them to fix their eyes to their phones and stumble and shamble around, catching creatures that are not there and only they can see. They all follow the malevolent app to the final destination where they local water sources, where they tumble in like lemmings until they befoul the potable water in every city. Pokemon gone bad. Oh, 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 oh wow. That's profound. That's good. That is very profound. That could Jeff be Whedon. it. That was the good. The marriage of the video game fad of the moment with the uh, mm. you know the apocalyptic monster that we all in our hearts need and require. Wow. That zombies may no longer satisfy. Augmented zombieism. There we go. Well, that's, that was our last question of the week. Do you guys have any uh, final thoughts or questions? Closing thought. I consume a lot of podcasts, and I know everyone is currently subscribing to iTunes, uh, to Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners, and rating us very highly. But I'd like to give a shout-out to a podcast I love to hate. Um, and kind of an author that I love to hate, but occasionally love, and that is Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell has a podcast called Revisionist History that, to me, uh, it, it, it perpetrates and, uh, and perpetuates a uh, new sort of economic, economist theme, and that is you take a thimbleful of science and you dispense pictures and pictures of idea and, uh, and speculation and try to meld it into whatever your opinion of something is. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a bit that's dangerous about that, and Malcolm Gladwell is obviously very, very smart, but then also I think so much of it is gibberish. I have the same uh, criticism of stuff like Freakonomics and that sort of thing, especially the podcast, which sometimes just borders on complete ridiculousness. However, so, so you know, this idea of uh, economi- uh, economists as social scientists and priests insist on pretending they know everything when it aligns uh, when with their political views. Anywho, uh, Gladwell really surprised me recently with a strong podcast called Blame Game that was that was really transformative and, and revisionist in history in that if you guys remember the Toyota acceleration crisis where there were vehicles that seemed to be accelerating out of control and we never have figured out what it could possibly be. Was it uh, was it the uh, floor mats or was it software or was it all sorts of crazy, uh, there were tin whisker uh, uh, hypotheses that were scary. Gladwell does a very compelling job of suggesting it was completely driver error, that it was just people mashing on an unfamiliar car's accelerator thinking they're stepping on the brake mm-hmm. and uh and so it was kind of mind-blowing and i want to create this kind of rap slash podcast uh rivalry between us and malcolm gladwell okay. since i'm of his stature uh-huh. uh, so mm-hmm. i need him to come and start fighting and answering my questions that's what i want gladwell to do uh, but you know the the podcasts i listen to that are kind of fun just to get to know each other a little bit better i love the espn sports gibberish i love writer's almanac i listen to wait wait and some of those sorts of things do you guys have any thoughts either on podcasts or more importantly your love or hate for Malcolm Gladwell? Well, I'll, I'll just give you a few podcast first. Um, been getting into the Duncan Trussell, Duncan Trussell show a little bit. He's kind of funny. There. He's kind of wild. He's funny. Um, really like the Skeptics Guide to the Universe. Stephen Novella, a Yale prof, a science prof, and a bunch of his cohorts. Don't know that one. Yeah, really insightful. Uh, looking at the world from the skeptical lens. Um, so that's been really good. Yeah, you know, Gladwell, I don't know. I don't know. I, I fail to be tremendously impressed on a fairly regular basis when I read him or listen to him. And I guess uh, it's just somewhat annoying to me that he seems to proceed from anecdote to wisdom in two or three steps when 
I would much prefer building up an argument. He, he just seems to, um, you know, not compile a lot of information and establish a foundation for the conclusions that he ultimately draws. And he wants to get to that end game of some sort of uh, story at the end that's somehow kind of entertainingly counterintuitive, like the example you just gave, or something that sort of tells us about ourselves in a way that is either, again, counterintuitive or is obvious. <laughs> Something that yeah. confirms something we sort of already knew about ourselves. So, I don't know. I'd like to love the guy. You know, I like the space he's operating in, but I just find him uh, disappointingly unpersuasive more often than I don't. Dr. Zen, I see you in a pond on a giant lily pad, mm -hmm. and you would not allow podcast to cast a pebble of podcasting into that very calm and tranquil world. Where are you at? That, that's exactly it. I'm, I'm building my lily pad now. Wow. Yeah. No, you listen to podcasts. What do you like? I just I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Wow. Yeah, I was right. I, I do appreciate the fighting words that Ray just brought out about Malcolm Gladwell. As Je Jeff, you're trying to gin up this conflict with Malcolm Gladwell to get it's real for ourselves. Don't be a jerk. Doing it by embracing him and slathering kisses all over him about his Toyota theory, and then punching him in the face. And then you, well, you left it to Ray to punch him in the face. Well done. And once again, if we had actually planned this stuff, we could have planned it better. <laughs> so, we're a team. Well, we're going to call that a wrap for the day. It's been a great week. Fantastic. A, a great experience. And uh, we will meet again next week. You guys have any uh, final thoughts? Nope. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. Love you guys. Let's check out the Perseids. Let's go see them. Bye-bye. <laughs>